today we'll be finishing our series on Psalms. Is that often right? Yep. Got that right? Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, being a worshiping community. We will heard a series a little while ago on from Thessalonians, which Sam then thought would be a really good idea to then do this um, series. The, the passage we were looking at from Thessalonians was 5, 16 to 22, and we were focusing now mainly on 16 to 18, which is rejoice always, pray about ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So today I'm talking on Psalm 100, so if you have your Bibles, um, please turn there now, and I think it's come up on the screen, I only gave you notice about five minutes ago. I wasn't sure if that was my job or he knew already, but um, it's my job. So I'm going to read that now. Um, I'm going to be going, uh, not speedy speedy, but a bit of a pace today because I've got quite a lot to share. Um, I'm going to shout slow down if I'm mumbling, because um, that can happen sometimes. <laughs> so... Passage says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God, and he, it is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's have a quick drink. Really dry mouth. So today I want to split my sermon into two parts. Firstly, focusing on what I call the invitation, and the second half on what I'm going to call the command. I believe this verse is both an invitation and a command to worship. Now let's start with the invitation. In this verse there are six imperatives, six things to do. Make noise, serve, come, enter, praise and give thanks. The verse is structured like so. The first three imperatives, or things to do, then reasons why we do it, three more, and then three, uh, more reasons why um, we do it. Today, I want to spend a bit of time taking a look at these imperatives and try to explain what they are and how we can live them out. But as most have said, this psalm has got a lot in it, and I want to make sure I get across some other things too, um, and mainly the reasons why we live them out and what happens when we do. So, in verses 1 and 2, we read the first three instructions which seem to be based in joy. Make a joyful noise, serve with gladness and sing. Now, I know it's not always easy to come... I'm sorry, that's not in my mouth. <laughs> I know it's not always easy um, to do this and come on a Sunday and be joyful. And most of you will know my name and story about waiting for Mia um, a few years ago and I found it really hard to come and be joyful. Over the time I didn't want to be here and I didn't feel like I could be in the presence of God. Um, Joy can be, seem to be something that's taken from us. What I want to do today is explain, hopefully help, us understand, hopefully help us understand that joy is found in Jesus and nothing can truly take that away. Now I have to say, please do not hear what I'm not saying. I'm not belittling any situation. I'm not saying we shouldn't find things difficult. What I am saying, what I am wanting to do is help us understand where joy comes from and how we can always access it. I had the privilege a few weeks ago or a couple of months ago now of joining some of the worship team at the worship conference and I've mentioned some of this back then but I feel it fits well with what I've got to share today. We heard from Simon Brading in the morning and he um, spoke about the tabernacle and he went into quite a bit of detail about it and I think some people find it hard to listen to or hard to read because it is very detailed but when we come to understand why all that detail is there and what it means for Jesus' sacrifice I think it makes it so amazing and so interesting um, and I could speak on quite a lot today but I haven't got time to go into all the detail so I'm going to just brush over it. 
So the tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. The Bible goes in, into incredible detail how it was made, the instructions and motives were given to make it. Not just how to make it, but how it should be used, who can use it, when to use it. So there was one day a year, just one day a year, when one man, on the day, this is the day of atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month, on which one man could enter the holy of holies and atone for the sins of the people. The high priest had to go through a serious amount of steps, including what he wore, what he did, how he washed, um, before he could enter the place of God. Before entering, he had to take a bull and two goats, and he did this in this order. He took the bull, sacrificed it, took the blood into the Holy of Holies, and spread it around to atone for his sins. He then came back out, killed, they had drawn lots on the goats, so he killed one goat and put one out. So the first one he killed, took the blood, and they went in and atoned for the sins of the people. And then the second goat, he came out, placed his hands on the head of the goat, and laid all the sins, spoke all the sins of the tribes onto this goat, and then sent it out into the wild. And as Sam mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this was known as the scapegoat. Now, I've brushed over that a lot. There's, a, so there's so much more detail. There's so much more he had to do. But he had to do this year after year because people kept sinning. And he had to keep going in and atoning for their sins once a year. I'm going to come back to this in a bit because this is more of the why we serve. I want to get on to the how to serve the way this um, verse says. So the first bit says a joyful noise. What is a joyful noise? A cheer, a happy scream, a shout, trumpets. Yes, definitely. And these can be used in our worship, obviously. And um, I don't think it's just this. The noise we make is the joyful noise for God. It's, yeah, it's a joyful noise to give to God. And I think in these harder times, if you can still come to God and say, Lord, I trust you. I know you're here, I, know what you're, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you, I love you. Surely that's still going to bring joy to God. As much as the trumpets in the good times. Like I said before, there is nothing wrong with feeling hurt or going through hard times. They're not nice. But being able to find and spend time with God in these times is what makes being a Christian so amazing. Being able to find joy in these moments and have the knowledge of who we are because of what Christ has done will help us find joy in Jesus and not in the world. Again, there's nothing wrong with finding joy in things in the world. I've got a lovely daughter who brings me joy. Tottenham, they bring me joy sometimes. Um, and some serve me a great plate of food. That brings me joy. But Mia is naughty sometimes, and that doesn't bring me joy. Tottenham have this ability, and I say ability, to lose to the simple team they should be beating. That doesn't bring me joy. And that plate of food, I'm going to finish it. And a few hours later, I'm going to need another one. What I'm saying is the the joys in this world are momentary. In the grand scheme of our existence, they are just a dot. We actually have eternity to spend with Christ in heaven. That should bring us joy. Amen. To serve with gladness in our daily lives is as much part of worship to him as singing corporate on a Sunday. And I love Sunday musical worship. It's great that we get to come and sing to God together. But worship is so much more than that. When we worship, when we do our non-Sunday, non-musical worship, it's the way in which we live, living in a way which glorifies God, while also witnessing how much we love God to the outside world. This verse says, serve with gladness, not just serve or serve, with grum serve and grumble. God wants us to serve him with gladness. Find gladness in all you do. In fact, serve God in all you do, and you will come to find gladness in it. 
whether it be going the extra mile in the workplace or spend some time with that person you find a bit difficult or the old story of helping the old lady across the road. These may seem like small things, but if you serve with God with gladness, it will speak wonders to those around us. And that, again, I'm going to come back to in my second point. The, the third um, imperative in the first half, come into his presence with singing. And again, yeah, I think this can be hard. As much as I didn't want to sing in my harder times, I found that when I did, I was able to focus on truth about God and meet, him, meet with him in ways that I wasn't able to at certain points. And actually, my heart cried out to God as well. My heart sang to God and sometimes did things that words could not cover. I think by acknowledging God and asking his help can be joyful in itself. Knowing that we have God and we can meet with him, talk to and trust. I mean, what can bring more joy than that? I mean, things have been shared from the congregation today about how great is it we can meet with God? How, how can, I think it's Caroline said, how can we not want to praise? Mm. Everything, even the best things in life are not joyful 100% of the time. God is unchanging, unwavering, and we can always have joy in the knowledge that we will one day be with him because of his grace and mercy. And I know I'm repeating myself a bit here, and my points are getting a bit muddled, and joy is sort of taking over. But I want us to understand, and I want to encourage you to find joy in Jesus and recognise him as your rock. Amen. <clears throat> so now back to the why. The verse says, he made us, we are his. He wants a relationship with us. And that was his intention when he designed the world and made the universe. We messed up and we live in a broken world. But, as this verse says, we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. He made a way so that we could be with him, even though our lives are undeserving of his presence. Back to the tabernacle and the high priest. As I mentioned before, God told Moses to make a very elaborate structure, a very elaborate detailed plan of how to use this structure and how to meet with God. Then one day, one day a year, the sins of the people would be atoned for. Only one man could meet with God, the high priest. Over the years, there have been many high priests. They would have come and gone, they would have lived and died. But we know one high priest who lived, died and lives again. And that is Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. The reason I want to set out a bit about the tabernacle, which I've already said, was because it just shows how amazing Jesus is to us. He does not need to cleanse himself every time he walks and meets with God. He does not need to wear expensive robes and gems and gold every time he wants to meet with God. He does not need to shed the blood of animals every time he meets with God. He shed his blood once for us. It is done. It is finished. We can now be with God for eternity by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. That is what brings us joy. True heavenly joy. The knowledge that we can rest on. Something Simon said really struck, really struck me and really stuck with me. Um, and I think this is what actually what I shared um, back a couple of months ago. So sometimes we can, have, we can come to church, we've had a really good week. So we've prayed every day, maybe a couple of times, we've fellowshiped with other Christians, we've read our Bible, we've been listening to worship music, and we come pumped, like, yeah, I'm here, I'm ready to meet with you, Lord. Yeah, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm deserved to be here, well, I don't deserve to be here, but I'm happy to be in your presence. Sometimes we come, haven't had a really horrible week. We're... That sin's creeped back in. We've forgotten to read our Bible as much as we feel we should. Um, we've fallen out with someone. Well, something out of our control has happened, and we're not really sure how to deal with it. And we come in on Sunday, we feel dejected, maybe angry, cross. We don't feel like we deserve to be here. Now, I ask you, which, which of those situations is right? Which attitude is the right one to have? 
It's actually neither. Because in both those situations, we've relied, even maybe just a little bit, on our flesh and on the world to keep us happy and our joy. When we can actually rely 100% on Jesus, and we should. We have the full assurance we can rely 100% on his blood. And that is how we can come on a Sunday, no matter what our week's been, what our month's been, what we're going through, and find joy and praise Jesus because of what he's done for us. And that's why even though the lines in this psalm are instructions and commands, make, serve, come, I also read the psalm as an invitation. We are told to do these things by the actions and sacrifice Jesus allowed God to invite us to worship. Verse 4 tells us, enter the gate, enter the gate in his courts. We would not be able to do these things once upon a time. Derek Kinder writes, the simplicity of this invitation may conceal the wonder of it. For the courts are truly his, not ours, and his gates are shut to the unclean. Yet not only his outer courts, but the holy of holies itself have been thrown open by the new and living way, and we are welcome. This is in itself cause for enough for, pray, enough for praise. There was a time when our sins could be atoned for, but we could not personally meet, meet with God. His people sinned and were unclean. Jesus paved the way and taken our sin so that we can meet with God whenever and wherever we want. All we need to do is accept Jesus into our lives as our Lord and Saviour. This brings me on to the second half, which I'm calling the command. There may only be one thing we have to do to meet with God, or have a start a relationship with God, but there is so much more we can do and should do to further and grow that relationship. Like any relationship, it needs to be worked on. You need to spend time with the other person. God is the same. He wants to walk with us and talk with us, celebrate with us and rest with us. This, this takes time and effort, but that all comes out of living our daily lives in service to him. In Romans 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, to view God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This verse elaborates on what it says in the psalm. Service to God is worship. Like I have said, this verse is a command to do. Make, serve, come, know, enter and give thanks. These are all words that are telling us to do something. However, I feel there is another command here for those of us who have already accepted Jesus as our saviour. The first line in this verse says, all of the earth. And the last line says, to all generations. Now what does this say to you? Derek Kinder notes that, the verse begins by broadening our horizon and ends by lengthening our view and our expectation. The command is for the whole earth to worship and to serve God for all generations. That is more than just me and you. How can all the earth come to worship God and make a joyful noise and sing if they do not know who he is? Knowing this call for us, the people saved, this is where I think the next line becomes really important. Serve the Lord with gladness. I said that I'll come back to this and this is where we are. What happens when we serve like this? To put it plainly, the world stands up and notices. To serve God in all we do leads us to serve others in the same way. In Matthew 22, it says, Teacher, what is the great command in the law? And he said to him, You shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself on these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. What Jesus said here is the greatest commandment is love your God with everything. If you do that, you will in turn keep the other commandments. 
Because out of true love for God, we put our will in line with his. And through that, we'll, our life will start reflecting the life of Jesus. Jesus then goes on to say, love your neighbour. Mike actually once shared with us that love is not just a feeling, but it's an action. So you may not love someone, but if you act out of love for them, you will then in turn start to love them. Finally, Jesus says, the other commandments depend on these two. Get these two correct, then all the other commandments are covered. We love God with everything, we will do good. We love our neighbour, then we will set out to do no wrong. I digress slightly about bringing this verse into my preaching speaking about love, but I think we can treat service like this. Let's replace the words love with serve. You shall serve your Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. The second is like it. You shall serve your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend the lives of many. There are places in the Bible where it says serve your Lord with all your heart and in Joshua also mentions all your soul. If we set out to serve firstly God with all we have, and then, sorry, I'll start again. If we have set to serve firstly God with all we have, and then out of it will come the desire, a natural inclination to serve others in the same way. We live in a world where many are out for themselves. Not everyone, of course. But as Christians, we should be different. We want people to recognise something different in us before they know who we are. They, we want them to look at us and say, why are they like that? Well, I want to know more. So how are we different? Because of, that, because of the example that's being set for us, and because of the gift we have been given to us, who remembers the WWJD bracelets? So I think quite a lot of us had them. Um, they were around when I was like a youth, um, and there were quite a few like this as well. There was one called Frog, which was forever rely on God. There's one called Push, which said pray until something happens. But the one I'm talking about, the WWJD, encompasses all of that, because it's what would Jesus do? The idea is you have this bracelet on, on, on your wrist, or some people have it on their Bible, and some people may still have things in their house with it on. And the idea is you have this, and in your day-to-day -day life, when you're doing things, you ask yourself, oh, what would Jesus do? It's a perfect question, as long as you follow it with, well, if that's what Jesus would do, that's what I would do. I'll give you an example. I have one of these, and I don't think I really wore it in the right way. Um, it was more just because everyone else was wearing them. Um, I probably did it sometimes. But I remember one situation where one of my friends said, what does WWJD stand for? And this is embarrassing. <laughs> I said, I think I said, worldwide jumping dude. I panicked. I don't know what that means. I just didn't want to share with them what I was wearing on my wrist. And that's only going to do damage, because actually it wasn't that much later they asked my sister what it meant, and she told them. So now they know I've lied about what I'm, my faith, and it makes me seem ashamed of my faith. So I've done actually more damage. Um, and there's that famous quote by Brennan Manning, which comes up in a preaching time to time. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've used it. Um, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Living a life in service to God is not one, as this quote says, acknowledged by lips and denied by lifestyle. And I'm not trying to get judgmental here or anything. I just want him to encourage us in that we, how, how we can live for God. Let, I want to flip this quote around a little bit. I believe that one way to see people saved in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and acknowledge him by their lifestyle. That is what will make an unbelieving world simply believe. Now I looked at a number of stories and examples where this type of living can be shown. This one I've heard a few times, I'm sure some of you will too. This for me though is heartbreaking, heartwarming, 
and heart fiction all in one, and I might cry because <laughs> it's it's good. And actually, if it's really well, Mother's Day, it's about a mother. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm going to be looking. I might be looking at a lot anyway, but I want to get the detail right. On February 12, 1993, Marlon Green attended a party. He was 16 years old. At the party, he got in a heated fight with 20-year-old Lamuin, which I think I'm pronouncing correctly. Marlon was intoxicated and neither person backed down from the fight. Marlon thought that Lamuin was reaching for his gun, so he pulled out his and shot him three times, and then shot him in the head, killing him. It was a brutal murder, another senseless case of urban violence. Lamuin's mother, Mary Johnson, was in shock for three months. In a courtroom, Mary Johnson had to be re restrained after interacting with Marlon's mother, Caroline Green. The arm became so heated there was concern that Mary would strike Caroline. She tried to forgive them, but she didn't. Marlon Green was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 25 years. For Mary, she had nothing but contempt and pure hatred for Marlon and Caroline. Mary looked at Marlon as nothing but an animal that needed to be caged. As Mary told the Tribune in an article in 2010, I was full of hatred. I saw him as an animal. I wanted him caged. I wanted him locked up for the rest of his life. There was, this was justice for me. But the hatred was consuming Mary. She tried to support groups which didn't help. She just got justice, but she was torn apart internally. Mary eventually knew she had to forgive Marlon. In 2005, in order to be, for, in order to be forgiven, she had to forgive. So she did something incredibly brave when she asked to meet with him in prison. In prison, he was struggling with the guilt and for murdering someone. In an effort to make a new beginning, he changed his name to O'Shea Israel. At first, he turned down the request to meet with Mary Johnson. O'Shea didn't want to be seen as vulnerable in a prison. Nine months later, she made another request. Then she first met with female inmates from the Shakopee prison, and she saw herself in them. As Mary describes it, that's when my heart began to change. I began to see them as people, not animals. And the day Mary Johnson met Vauché was vivid. She even remembers the hand lotion she was given because it was called Beyond Belief, and that is somehow how she felt. In the room, Israel walked in, and Mary saw they had changed physically and mentally in the 12 years of being incarcerated. She started saying, she didn't know him, and you don't know me, but I want to get to know you better. Mary Johnson spoke about her son, and, and Israel spoke about his life. As the meeting came to close, Mary Johnson told him, I forgive you from the bottom of my heart, which led him to ask, how can you do that? She broke down and started crying and had trouble standing. Israel couldn't let her hit the floor and hug her like Mary was his own mother. After security returned Israel back to the population, Mary Johnson said, I just hugged the man who murdered my son. What happened next could only be described by Mary Johnson who said, all that stuff, all that junk deep inside me, I felt rise from the bottom of my feet and leave me like nothing I've ever felt before. I loosed him and let him go. The meeting with the resurrection allowed Mary to be the person she used to be. After meeting O'Shea, after, after, after the meeting, O'Shea struggled with what happened. Israel was quoted as saying, Being incarcerated for so long, you tend to get detached from the real love of people. Sometimes I still don't know how, you, how, how to take receiving forgiveness from you. How, how do you forgive someone who has taken your only child's life? To know that I robbed you of that, and for you to forgive me, you can only... You can't really put it into words. After that meeting, Mary and, Mary and O'Shea met frequently and drew closer to each other. Inside the prison, both Mary and O'Shea met together and spoke about grace, forgiveness and reconciliation. 
Many prison inmates couldn't believe what they'd witnessed and wept at the sight of Mary embracing her love and loving her son's murderer. In 2005, she set up an organisation called From Death to Life, which helps people who have lost loved ones to violence, forgive and reconcile. In August 2010, Mary met Israel's mother. And the first time they met, in 93, she had to be restrained, where in August 2010, they reconciled and forgave each other and are now sisters in Christ. The way Carolyn described it, we share a son. The remark that while Mary permanently lost, she remarked that while Mary permanently lost her son in 1993, she lost another son for 17 years. When Israel was released from prison, they had a, Mary encouraged him to move next door, and she had a party for him. Mary regards O'Shea as her spiritual son. As she explains, it is not pardoning what he did, and it's not reconciliation, it's true forgiveness. O'Shea is amazed at the love and grace Mary has shown him, which has led him to give back to society. Today they both go and speak about grace, forgiveness and mercy in prisons, churches, church camps and retreats. Mary Johnson, in an article in the paper, spoke about her hopes for her, for her spiritual son, by saying, I didn't see my real son graduate, but you're going to college and I'll be able to see you graduate. I didn't see him get married, but hopefully one day I'll experience that with you. Our relationship is beyond belief. I mean, wow. Now, obviously, we're not in her shoes and hopefully never will be. But the point is, she lived her life in the way God wanted her to. And from that, saw a number of people saved. Now, this story doesn't actually confirm if O'Shea gave his life to God. But from reading other things, it does seem like he did. And we know his mum did. And we know other people were touched and she set up an organisation because of what she'd done. And we're finding her strength in God. Now that is an extreme example of course, but I wanted something to stick with us. The way in which we live our lives affects those around us for the better or for the worse. Let's make it for the better. As I finish here, I just want, want to finally say this. I'm pretty sure God could do this without us, but he doesn't want to. He made us to have a relationship with us. He always made a way for his people to have a relationship with him. Then in Jesus, he opened up a way for us all to come. A relationship takes work and it brings joy to God when we work on this one. Let's serve God by using the example Jesus set for us. Serve him in all we do and do all things with gladness. Jesus is your rock. Let's recognise and remember we always have joy in him. Let's pray. I just want to pray for us. God, I pray that the words I've spoken from today will resonate and we'll just understand that you are our rock and you are our joy. And no matter what we're going through, you're going through it with us and we can find joy in you. I pray that our lives speak of you and show who you are to others around us. And we can start affecting the cities and towns and the countries we live in. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.